Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Hydro One Limited's third quarter 2020 analyst teleconference. At this time, all participants lines are on a listen-only mode. After the speaker's presentation, there will be a question and answer session. To ask a question during the session, you will need to press star 1 on your telephone. As a reminder, the call is being recorded. I would now like to introduce your host for today's conference, Mr. Omar Javid, Vice President, Investor Relations at Hydro One. Please go ahead. Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining us in Hydro One's third quarter earnings call. Joining us today are our President and CEO, Mark Poeska, and our Chief Financial Officer, Chris Lopez. In the call today, we will go over our third quarter results and then spend the majority of the call answering as many of your questions as time permits. There are also several slides that illustrate some of the points we'll address in a moment. They should be up on the webcast now. Or if you're dialed into the call, you can also find them on Hydro One's website in the Investor Relations section under Events and Presentations. Today's discussions will likely touch on estimates and other forward-looking information. You should review the cautionary language in today's earnings release and our MD&A, which which we filed this morning regarding the various factors, assumptions, and risks that could cause our actual results to differ as they all apply to this call. With that, I turn the call over to our President and CEO, Mark Poeska. Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining us. Before we begin, I'm heartbroken to share with you that one of our employees lost his life in a very serious motor vehicle accident in the Port Carling area a couple days ago. Our employee was traveling in a Hydro One pickup truck on a rural Ontario road when a concrete truck rolled onto this vehicle while rounding a corner. Our thoughts and prayers are with his family, friends, and coworkers. Nothing is more important to me, this company, and our employees than the safety of our colleagues. This incident will further strengthen our resolve to eliminating serious injuries in our company. With respect to the business, I'd like to start by thanking all of our employees who are delivering on our corporate strategy while keeping a focus on the guiding priorities we set to help us navigate through these challenging times. From the start of the pandemic, Hydro One has been guided by two priorities, protecting our employees and delivering safe, reliable power to Ontarians. These priorities will continue to guide our decisions along with the advice of our public health experts. To date, we've had very few cases of COVID amongst our employee population, and there's only been one suspected case of workplace transmission, which occurred subsequent to the quarter end. Safety protocols such as extra PPE, on-site hand washing supplies, adaptive work methods and site protocols have allowed us to complete our work programs. We will continue to be diligent in following these protocols as we look to the future when we get to a new normal. Our return to office plan is designed to minimize the risk to our employees. It is gradual and phased. It helps, it builds on lessons we have learned since the start of the pandemic. It is flexible in when and how we work 
so that everyone is protected. And it ensures that lights stay on while we continue to complete our work programs. Our customers have also been affected in many ways, and we understand this. We have been and will continue to be there for our customers. In yesterday's budget, the government announced an additional initiative to lower the global adjustment charge. This will help our business customers. The government also confirmed rate protections for our residential customers will remain in place. We were pleased to see the government's commitment to managing electricity costs so Ontario's businesses can be competitive on the global stage. At Hydro One, we continue to support residential customers by extending our ban on electricity disconnections and providing them with help through Hydro One's pandemic relief program, as well ensuring they are benefiting from the government's COVID energy assistance programs. We have a responsibility to give back to the communities where we work and live. This includes support for our Indigenous customers, businesses, and families. We serve 104 Indigenous communities and have transmission assets on 23 First Nations reserves. We have a responsibility to build respectful and meaningful relationships with Indigenous communities across the province through the work that we do every day. And I'm pleased that we're making advancements. Hydro One was recently recognized by the Canadian Council for Aboriginal Business, or the CCAB, with Silver Level Certification in Progressive Aboriginal Relations, or PAR, advancing from our Bronze Level, level Certification in 2017. Awards like these are incredibly important because they track our progress. They help us improve our performance as a trusted partner with Indigenous communities, and we are honoured to be recognized in this way. This partnership mindset also extends to our employees and unions. I'm pleased to announce that the Power Workers Union, the PWU, members voted in favor of renewing two collective agreements. The main collective agreement, which includes frontline operations staff, and the customer service operations collective agreement, which includes staff and customer facing roles. The collective agreements cover over 4,200 regular employees and approximately 1,500 contingent employees in critical frontline roles across the company operations in Ontario. These agreements reflect our shared commitment to working together. And there are several notable components, including employment security, extended health benefits focused on mental health for employees. The agreements also allow for increased productivity, enhanced flexibility, and a renewed emphasis on diverse and inclusive practices. We are now in a period of labor stability with these agreements in place for the next several years. And as we look out to the future, we see a lot of things to be optimistic about. First, we're continuing to energize life for our customers. We're working to connect over 170 commercial and industrial customers to the grid these new customers represent over 2,200 megawatts of capacity, which is enough to supply a city about one and a half times the size of Ottawa. Second, we are in a stable rate-regulated environment. Our rate applications for the distribution and transmission businesses have been successful through 2022. We have high visibility of the capital investment and corresponding rate-based growth that is required to maintain the safe and efficient transmission of power. 
Our formulaic return on equity has already been determined, which provides us with an incentive to work harder for our customers. In addition, we have a path to final resolution on the deferred tax asset. Our constructive relationship with our regulator is strong, and we are working with the new leadership at the Ontario Energy Board as they move forward with the regulatory reforms that will benefit all Ontarians and which we support. Third, we have successfully closed the Peterborough and Aurelia transactions. We are now welcoming them into the Hydro One family and sharing best practices between us so we can be efficient in our delivery of services to those communities. We are confident that this will be a positive experience for Aurelia and Peterborough customers and employees, and will be an example for other communities to join our family as well. And lastly, we are continuing to execute on our strategic plans. We are reducing costs, putting capital to work, and generating positive returns for our shareholders. This positive outlook combined with our greater purpose of energizing life is attracting high caliber individuals to our talent force and motivating existing employees to step up. And with that, I'm pleased to welcome Megan Telford as the Chief Human Resources Officer. Megan was previously at Toronto Dominion where she transitioned through increasingly challenging roles and most recently was the Head of Human Resources for TD Insurance. Her background in all areas of HR and law will be invaluable to us. Our Chief Safety Officer, Darlene Bradley, recently retired after 33 years with the company. Darlene had been a core part of my leadership team, and I would like to thank her for her service, and we all wish her the very best in this new stage of her life. And I'm pleased to report the appointment of Lila Garzuzzi to the role of Chief Safety Officer. Lila an electrical engineer by background, has over 15 years of experience at Hydro One, most recently as Vice President of Distribution. Given her frontline experience, she is deeply committed to improving Hydro One's safety culture. She was also recently recognized as one of Canada's top 40 under 40 for 2020. As an executive sponsor of Pride, Lila is also an important model who will continue to deliver on our commitment to diversity and inclusion. And to close, we're all saddened by the loss of our colleague. And this has prompted us to step back and reflect. In many ways, this quarter has been positive, but all the good is diminished when we experience a tragic incident like the one this week. We must and will continue to work towards eliminating serious injuries in this company. Chris, over to you. Thank you, Mark. Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining us today. I hope you and your families are safe and doing well. I will take this moment to express my sincerest of condolences to the family, friends, and co-workers affected by this tragic motor vehicle accident. Our thoughts and prayers are with you all. With respect to the business, I would like to extend Megan and Lila a warm welcome to the executive leadership team. As Mark mentioned, there is a lot to be positive about. We have accomplished a great deal since we launched our strategy a year ago. In spite of COVID-19, our teams continue to perform well. I would like to thank all that have contributed to this outcome in a trying and unexpected circumstances. While our commitment to excellence is being rewarded, we are not losing sight of the work that lies ahead. 
In terms of our financial results for the quarter, we saw an increase in earnings per share to $0.47 compared to $0.40 last year. The main driver of higher earnings this quarter was warmer weather, which positively affected peak demand in the transmission segment while also increasing energy consumption in the distribution segment. Our third quarter revenue, net of purchase power, was high year over year by 6.3%. We saw substantially warmer weather during the quarter with year over year peak demand up 12% in July and August and up 3% in September. This favorable weather resulted in an increase in year over year peak demand during the quarter of 9%. Electricity distributed to Hydro One customers was also higher by 7.6%. As a result, transmission revenues were up by 9% and distribution revenues net of purchase power were 3.5% higher. On the cost front, operating, maintenance and administrative expenses were higher by 1.2% year over year. Recall, in the transmission decision received earlier this year, we were required to recognize additional other post-employment benefits as both a cost and a revenue, making it net income neutral. Adjusting for this, we saw a marginal decrease in OM&A year over year, despite the additional COVID-19 related costs, on which I'll elaborate further in this call. The main reason for the lower OM&A was lower vegetation management costs compared to last year. To remind you, we had taken advantage of the milder weather last year and accelerated the vegetation management program to further enhance the electricity infrastructure. Consistent with previous quarters, the impact of the measures taken by Hydro One to support our customers, including the pandemic relief fund, financial assistance and increased payment flexibility, extending the winter relief program, and the temporary suspension of late fees are not expected to be material. With respect to COVID-19 costs, we've incurred operating expenditures of approximately 5 million related to the purchase of additional facility and cleaning related supplies this quarter. This brings our year-to-date OM&A expenditure on COVID-19 to $32 million. As a reminder, this amount includes costs associated with the temporary stand down of the workforce and other sustainment work performed in previous quarters. We continue to track the impact of COVID-19 as directed by the Ontario Energy Board. The company is tracking approximately 54 million in these accounts, which includes a $14 million allowance for bad debts, which has been deferred. We are pleased to report that we do not see a material change in the allowance for bad debt at this stage, and as such have not changed the allowance taken in the first quarter of this year. From the regulatory perspective, the OEB increased the number of COVID-19 related tracking accounts from three to five. The new accounts include foregone revenues from postponing rate implementation and carving out bad debt from the other incremental cost account. In September, the OEB confirmed that they had engaged external consultants to assist in the preparation and issuance of an OEB staff proposal regarding the deferral accounts. The consultant's reports and additional guidance from the OEB on potential next steps is expected sometime this month. On financing, we saw a slight decrease in interest expense in the quarter due to a lower weighted average long-term debt balance outstanding in the quarter. There were a few notable events that occurred with respect to the capital structure since our last call. First, on September 21st, we announced that we would exercise the option 
to redeem Series 1 preferred shares on November 2020. These shares carry a yield of 4.25% and will be redeemed for $423 million, consisting of $418 million being the value of preferred shares as well as $5 million of accrued dividends. Second, on October 15th, subsequent to the quarter end, Hydro Unlimited issued $425 million of long-term debt at a competitive rate of 1.41% to fund the preferred share redemption. DBRS Limited assigned an issuer rating of A to Hydro One Limited and also assigned an A rating to the $425 million long-term debt issuance. S&P assigned an issue level rating of triple B plus to the $425 million long-term debt issuance. The redemption of the preferred shares is expected to be approximately two cents accretive. Third, on October 9th, Hydro One Inc. issued long-term debt totaling $1.2 billion at competitive rates. We expect to use net proceeds of this offering to repay and or prepay maturing long-term debt and short-term debt, including maturities coming up early in 2021 and for general corporate purposes. We remain very pleased with our strong liquidity position and balance sheet, as well as our robust investment-grade credit ratings. Income tax expense was $22 million for the third quarter, compared to $14 million last year. The increase in income tax expense was mainly related to higher income before taxes. The effective tax rate for this quarter was 7% versus 5.4% last year. That effective tax rate is consistent with our previous guidance of 6 to 13%. Following the positive decision in July, the Ontario Divisional Court issued its final order regarding setting aside the OEB ruling on the deferred tax asset on September 21. Recall from the last quarter that we had reversed the one-time charges taken at the end of 2018 and recognised an income tax recovery that had a one-time net income impact of $867 million. On October 2nd, the OEB issued a procedural order to implement the direction of the Divisional Court and instructed Hydro One to submit a proposal for the recovery of the deferred tax asset amounts allocated to ratepayers for the 2017 to 2022 period. We view this as a positive development and anticipate a final decision in the first half of next year. In the near term, our effective tax rate guidance is not expected to change. We will update you once the OEB has finalised the matter. Moving to investing activities, the company placed $371 million of assets in service in the third quarter, a 14.3% decrease to the prior year. This was largely a result of the year-over-year decrease related to the transmission segment, which had the substantial completion of the Niagara reinforcement project, as well as investments in the Elgin transmission station in 2019. In the distribution segment, we saw a year-over-year increase as the feeder development project at Leamington Transmission Station underwent a substantial completion this quarter. We expect to meet this year's in-service commitments. Capital investment for the third quarter was $500 million, which is a 17.9% increase from the third quarter in 2019. The increase was mainly due to a higher volume of station refurbishments and replacements, higher investments in multi-year development projects for the transmission business, the construction of a new Ontario Group Control Centre in Aurelia and Woodstock Operations Centre, 
investments in distribution system connections and modernization initiatives, and a higher volume of refurbishment work and storm-related asset replacements. On the acquisition front, as mentioned on the last call, we completed the purchase of the business and distribution assets of Peterborough Distribution from the City of Peterborough on August 1st. I'm pleased to report that we also successfully completed the acquisition of Aurelia Power Distribution Corporation from the City of Aurelia on September 1st. As committed last quarter, we have updated the future capital investment table to reflect the changes arising from the Aurelia acquisition. Over the next few quarters, we will focus our efforts on business integration for the two acquisitions. Lastly, we continue to be committed to and affirm our guidance of 4 to 7% earnings per share growth through 2022. I'll stop there and we'd be pleased to take your questions. Thank you, Mark and Chris. Um, we asked the operator to explain how uh, she'd like to organize the Q&A polling process. Uh, and in case we aren't able to address your questions today, my team and I are always available to respond to any follow-up questions. Uh, please go ahead, Chen. Thank you. As a reminder, to ask a question, you will need to press star 1 on your telephone. To withdraw your question, press the pound key. Please stand by while we compile the Q&A roster. Our first question comes from Robert Kwan with RBC Capital Markets. Your line is now open. Um, you know, Chris, you just uh, talked about reconfirming the EPS growth rate, and that with that, you know, dollar fifty-two to dollar sixty-five range that you rolled out in March. You know, as you stand here today, you, you've got the TX rate decision. Since that, you've made a lot of headway in cost and productivity improvements, and a lot of uh, tailwinds on the actual debt financing. So I'm just kind of wondering, um, you know, as you're thinking about the headwinds and tailwinds that have unfolded, um, you know, how are you thinking about where you might be sitting, you know, in that guidance range? Thanks, Robert. Um, good question. I, I agree with you. Um, both Mark and I touched on the fact that a number of the uncertainties have been taken out of the business. Um, I'll remind you that our long-term projection was uh, a growth in rate base of 5%, a growth in earnings of 5%, and a growth in dividends of 5%. We still see that continuing over the long term. In the short term, it's true that we'll have some variation, and, and this quarter is a good example of that, where weather has uh, resulted in a fairly sizable uptick. Um, they are related to the, the quarter at hand and not sustainable over the long term. So I still think the long-term uh, guidance is, is relative. Now, we did give a range of 4 to 7%, so clearly with that uncertainty being taken out, uh, the guidance is probably skewed towards the, uh, the upper end of that. Um, so that's how I'd answer that question. It's too soon to call um, a, a, a revision of that guidance. Uh, we're at the early stages of COVID. We know we're in the second wave, so we've got to be thinking about those outcomes as well. Um, it looks like it's going to be lasting well into next year, and there may be long and lasting uh, impacts of that that we can't yet see. Um, so I'll leave you with those thoughts, but you know, certainly we are a little more confident around our guidance at this point, uh, simply because the uncertainty has been taken out of that story. So you mentioned kind of removing the uncertainty. Is it fair to say then that when you constructed that range, um, you know, that uncertainty from your perspective maybe cheated you to being more conservative? Because there are a number of things that, you know, whether you called it the uncertainty, but you know, financing rates are, are probably lower than you would have anticipated, and you've done a good job locking a lot of that in. So that's ongoing and not really, you know, related to the near term per se. 
Yeah. Again, Robert, I won't be changing the range. I think the comments are fairly clear. Our confidence level in terms of, of being that range and, and you know, again, skewed towards the upper end of that um, has improved uh, is, is how I put that. So you know, what you've pointed to is, is interest costs, and, and that is fair. The interest costs have been lower um, than anticipated, uh, initially anticipated. Um, so very pleased with that. But again, if I look forward to next year and the year after, um, I don't have clarity yet on the impacts of COVID-19 in the longer term. Um, we're in the second wave. We could have a third wave. Again, the uncertainty there. You're asking me about a range over that period, and the range is still valid, uh, although possibly towards, skewed towards the upper end. Understood. If I can just finish with um, your approach to M&A, and, and obviously right now it's focused on, on roll-ups. Um, with them being very small, it's easy for you just to double leverage them, but can you just talk about your corporate approach to acquisitions, especially if you decide to start doing maybe some larger um, transactions? Do you assess accretion based on actual financing? Is that kind of your threshold, or are you approaching that from a fully financed basis, i.e. a notional common equity issuance for the equity component of, of these transactions? Yeah, I, I think it's, it's the latter, Robert. Um, I'm not a big fan of, of high leverage. Uh, you know, we may have the balance sheet that, that can leverage it, especially on the smaller ones from our from the finance sources. Uh, but we still look at it through the lens of financing it long term, especially in the regulated space, 60 percent debt, forty percent equity. And that must be creative at that range. Right. And does it have to be immediately accretive, or do you have a time frame that you want to see? Yeah, it, it would need to be immediately accretive. Um, I've not got a specific timeline in mind. Um, what we find with the smaller LDCs, the construction of that is usually in the first year or so, while you have some integration costs. Um, it, it's not accretive, but it's accretive within the second and third year. So that's the, that's the model on the smaller LDCs uh, at this point, and I don't expect that to change. That's great. Thank you very much. Appreciate the answers. Thank you. Our next question comes from Ben Pham with BMO Capital. Your line is open. Okay, thanks. Uh, good morning. I wanted, wanted to ask on the, the – you mentioned you're not a huge, huge fan of, of leverage, uh, uh, but are you able to quantify even the, the hold-go debt uh, recently? Uh, what, what sort of uh, flex room uh, you have, if, if any, on the ability to take on more, more hold-go debt? And I know you, you're taking out the preps um, – as well, but as uh, I would assume, there's there's also some room on preferred shares too in, in your capital structure if you needed to. Hi Ben, uh, Chris again. Um, look on preferred shares, they're not an efficient. We would always look at them, but right now they're not an efficient uh, source of capital for Hydro One, and the main reason for that is that we we're, not, we're unable to realise the tax benefits uh, in the near term, and that's because of our large deferred tax asset. Um, so even before we won the DTA case, uh, we still had a, a significant amount of uh, tax deductions available to Hydro One. So it's not as efficient to Hydro One as, say, other entities. Um, so that answers the, the preferred uh, share question. Uh, we do have some flexibility. Today we are a 99% regulated business. The regulatory construct is 60% debt, 40% equity, and we're going to stay there. The other area that we are guided by um, is that we will always remain uh, investment grade as far as our credit ratings go. So 
will not push the boundaries uh, at that point. That said, we do have some financial flexibility at the whole co-level. We will look at that uh, as the right opportunities come. And like we said, we are very focused on growing the regulated business. So again, I'd expect that to remain in the 60% to 40% equity range. Okay. Um, and then uh, with your, your non-regulated assets, um, I, I know you, it's a you know, good point on the, the PREF, that I guess the 6.1 tax. Um, um, are, you, are you able to, um, you know, let's say you, gr- you grow your non-regulated businesses over time, that's your strategy, there's, there's ability to use that, that PREF um, uh, or deduct that, that tax uh, side of things, or is that that's not available? And then an associated question to that with non-reg, uh, you mentioned a, a number of scenarios to grow that, uh, but is there also a thought process of, of growing through M&A on that portion? Yes, Ben. Uh, look, I, I think, I mean, my first comment is going to be we, today we are 99% regulated and the majority of our efforts are focused there, including competitive transmission and the growth uh, in acquisition of LVC. So that's where the primary focus is. Uh, even at Investor Day, I said that that 1% unregulated may grow to 5% over time. Um, it will still remain a very small part of our business. So that itself uh, would not be sufficient to uh, absorb those tax deductions that we spoke of. Um, so preferred shares would be still not, not an efficient financing vehicle. Um, I think that the key point there, Ben, is that, uh, look, we're going to focus on regulators, uh, and then potentially, as I said at Investor Day, we could get as much as 1% growth out of our non-regulated business, but it would be immediately adjacent to our regulated business here in Ontario. So a good example of that is our IV business, um, you know, electric vehicle charging, um, energy management services that I did speak about. So is there something we can do with our customers that build on uh, the service that we provide to them today? So again, I don't expect us to take a large step out, and I think that's what the question is. Um, that is not, not where we're looking. We are looking to build on our regulated rate base and the regulated business that we have today. Uh, we find that keeping that efficient and effective will be the best outcome for Hydro One and for all Ontarians. All right, that's great. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question comes from Julian Dumoulin-Smith with Bank of America. Your line is open. Hey, good morning, team. It's actually Darius Lozny on for Julian. Thanks for taking my question. Um, wanted to ask briefly about uh, going back to the M&A uh, discussion. Um, if you were to receive a favorable ruling in your deferred tax assets uh, proceeding, which it sounds like that's, that's the direction it's trending, um, have you considered using the, the proceeds, the catch-up proceeds there, um, potentially for doing some additional roll-ups of LDCs? Hi, yeah, Darius. It's Chris. It's, it's Matt here. Maybe I'll, uh, I'll, I'll start, and then I'll, I'll uh, let you weigh in on that, um, Chris. And, and thanks, and welcome to the call, Darius. Um, you're, you're right that uh, the, the deferred tax asset is um, we, we got a, a favorable ruling from the Ontario Divisional Court, and we're going through with the OEB and interveners on on the, the timing and the duration for, for collecting uh, uh, those costs. So on, on LDCs, uh, we are open for for uh, rolling up LDCs, and and I think there's a desire overall, and we see uh, um, in government and other places 
because there's savings to the ratepayers broadly in Ontario of LDC consolidation, and there's been a whole bunch of studies and reports on that. And so uh, we'll we'll continue to uh, to look at that. We do have a competitive advantage on LDC consolidation, particularly the smaller rural rural ones, where we uh, we can uh, reduce their operating costs quite significantly because we have assets and equipment and uh, and people uh, in those regions surrounding for our our rural operations, which surround a lot of those LDCs. So um, so absolutely, we will continue to, uh, to to look at that. And we see there's a good opportunity, not just for Hydro One, but for rate payers broadly in consolidating the LDC sector. Chris? Hi, Darius. Um, yeah, I think Mike, Mike handled the, the, uh, the imperative to continue with LDC consolidation. It has not been impacted in terms of pace, either faster or slower by the deferred tax asset decision. Um, what I will say, independent of that, is the deferred tax asset decision does give us increased FFO. And one of our key areas from the rating agencies is our FFO to debt. So that does increase our financing potential uh, at the hold code. Um, over the long term, we'd still look at 50 to, uh, 60% uh, debt to 40% equity. So that's not going to change, but we do have some additional cash flow, as you say, Darius, that could fund um, an acceleration of LDC consolidation. But that hasn't been the limiting factor. The limiting factor is, uh, is a willing seller. Uh, we are a willing buyer. Um, so the more that we can do there to facilitate or encourage consolidation, the better. Um, so financing is not the limiting factor, but it, it has helped. Excellent. Thank you. That's very helpful. Um, one more, if I may. Uh, just um, I'm looking a little bit uh, further out into the future now as I look at your projected uh, CapEx slide, and um, I see there's a, a planned step up in beginning in 23 at both transmission and distribution, and I understand that that uh, coincides with when you expect your next uh, series of rate plans to be in place. So I was wondering just if you could comment on your confidence in being able to achieve approval of the somewhat meaningfully higher uh, CapEx plan in 23 going forward relative to, to the current plan. Yeah, I'll, I'll start this again, and, and, and um, you know, Chris can maybe speak to it. Um, uh, you know, when we filed our, our last applications, we did project out um, beyond uh, on our TX, particularly that uh, that we would require additional investments um, in the 2023 and beyond. And there's a couple of significant investments in there, like the replacement of our new uh, uh, of our smart meters, uh, which uh, which are an imperative for us to to do. So. We think we have a good case based on our, our, the health of our condition of our assets as well as the imperative around some fairly significant investments in things like our AMI, which is, is the smart meter infrastructure. Um, so we're going through the, um, the, uh, the JRAP process right now, and the first two phases are uh, our customer engagement to, to test scenarios on investments in, in, right across. And, uh, and so far, we've had positive feedback from our customers that they recognize and see the need for us to invest in, in our assets uh, to maintain and improve the reliability of the system. So um, as we put together our case for this, uh, we, we feel confident that, uh, that we've got support of our customers and repairs in that too. Chris? Thanks, Mike. The only thing I would add is that when you look at that, the shape of that uh, CapEx spend, is when you do get a decision on a rate case. So let's take transmission, for example, where we had a $400 million reduction um, on $3.8 billion. 
we can't just stop spend in the current year. So what you find is that those reductions are more skewed to the final year of that rate case. So all that does is it shows a slight difference between the final year, which is 2022 in the graph you're looking at, and then the first year of the next rate case. But overall, the OEB is familiar with that trajectory over time. So you can see that 2022 is the anomaly in that graph. Um, otherwise, you would have seen a steady increase over time, which was, has always been part of the, the business plan and the requirements of uh, the system in Ontario. I'll remind you that 70 to 80% of all capital expenditure is deployed to maintain the system. Okay, that's very helpful. Thank you very much, and I'll leave it there. Thank you. Our next question comes from Linda Ezegales with TD Securities. Your line is open. Thank you. Um, congratulations on a, a strong quarter. I'm wondering if you can help us understand, uh, with the recent ratifying of your two power workers union agreements, um, how might this uh, change your costs prospectively? And can you help us understand uh, the nature of any flexibility that these agreements have in terms of uh, job design and outsourcing? Sure, sure, Linda, it's Mark here. Um, so, so we uh, we we agreed on on you know base salary or, or base wages um, in line with what we're seeing with other uh, utilities across uh, Ontario and and actually a little bit lower than what we're seeing. So it, it does help to start to uh, close that delta between us and the others that the OEB has been pointing to. But more importantly, as you point out. Um, we uh, we made some uh, some good progress with with the PWU on on additional flexibility, which will result in further efficiencies in the company. So, some examples of that are specific agreements are relating to flexibility in hours of work, so our ability to uh, to move certain and finish times around to align better with the work. Uh, crew composition, so so the makeup of the crews and and who does what on on a crew. As, as well as job duties and contracting. Um, we also have a, a new homeworker classification for uh, clerical and technical personnel, uh, which includes a 10% wage differential. So, uh, you know, the, looking forward and, and our experience with COVID, uh, this gives us the ability to have a more flexible work arrangement in the future, which our employees like. Um, but it also drives out savings for uh, for the company and uh, and uh, you know which we like. Other things like per diems and meal, meal expenses, we've shifted away from receipted meals uh, to a, a set per diem amount, which uh, allows us to better plan and control uh, those expenses, as well as uh, increased eligibility for for moving expenses. So um, why do you mean the circle? Uh, around where uh, where uh, we will pay for people to move, so there's some uh, some some good good improvements there, as well as several diversity and inclusion initiatives that we include in there, such as paid leave for Indigenous employees on National Indigenous Peoples Day, and hire and haul Indigenous employment target of four percent, uh, which the uh, the union is supportive of. So so I think um, you know uh, a lot of times. People focus on what were the wage increases, but there was a lot of other elements that, uh, that that were positive for both us and the employees. That's helpful context. Thank you. Um, 
Maybe also just um, rounding out the discussion a little bit about your investment opportunities. Um, there is um, in Ontario a drive for ec economic stimulus spend and um, you know uh, being mindful of uh, a number of moving parts uh, there uh, I'm just wondering what sort of uh, incremental opportunities uh, that are uh, different than your base uh, plan might arise as a result of that. We've been, uh, we've been working with uh, government and Infrastructure Ontario as they look at um, economic recovery coming out of this and investments in infrastructure, and, uh, and we've identified where uh, additional transmission assets uh, uh, may be required or accelerating things like Wasigan to help with that. So, so nothing uh, definitive, but we have been uh, working with them as they as the government looks to to how we're going to recover. The budget yesterday included some things which will help to stimulate that, such as the uh, the support that they announced for the business customers, which is commercial and industrial, which really brings the uh, the the electricity rates for those types of businesses to below the 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 U.S. average actually. So it's it, it helps us to be more uh, more competitive on electricity pricing for those companies, which will, uh, I believe, help with uh, with recovery and and growth of the uh, the economy and those businesses, which is good for us as well as uh, Ontario. That's helpful context. Thank you. I'll jump back in the queue. Thank you. Our next question comes from Mark Jarvie with CIBC Capital Markets. Your line is open. Yeah, good morning, everyone. Um, first question is on the implementation of the tiered pricing um, versus the, the default time of use. Just curious if that changes at all your, your sensitivity to load variations or whether if there was a high adoption. Yeah, good question, Mark. Um, we we don't anticipate because the 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 rates set for the uh, for the stepped rates are are basically the average, and so. So um, whether people will change their behavior and use more or less, it's pretty hard to tell at this point. The uh, the, the purpose of the the, the giving uh, um, customers the option uh, was was really important. And, and when we polled our our customers, over 60% of them said they wanted to choose and they wanted an option on whether they had time of use or or the uh, the step rates. And so uh, we were pleased to see the government uh, do that. As far as whether it will drive up load or not, it's uh, it's hard to tell at this time. Uh, and it's also just curious in a quarter like this, where peak load was you know a bit higher, consumption with hot weather in July and August, if, if that would have changed at all in terms of how uh, results would have paired out. Yeah, it's a good question. They the 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 stepped rates are uh, were set based on what the average would have been. So. So um, uh, we haven't actually done the analysis on, on what that would have meant for this this, uh, this past quarter. Um, and loads were impacted uh, a lot by weather, as you know. Um, and But they're, they're kind of masked by COVID as well because a lot of people are at home. And, uh, and so whether that will stay that way for, for a long period, um, it's hard to tell at this point, Mark. Okay. And then um, I believe the OEB came out a few months ago and indicated they might put behind the meter storage, uh, allow that into rate base. Just curious if you guys see that as a meaningful opportunity and, and, and maybe how that might dovetail with ongoing efforts with your energy management services uh, efforts. 
Yeah, we, we think that would be a positive. And, and um, you know, behind the meter storage, where it provides multiple uses or benefits to, to the customers and to the system is ideal for us. And an example of that is actually we're, uh, we're installing a, uh, a battery storage system in Erlen First Nations, uh, which we are um, rate-basing, and that's to improve the reliability because they're on a long radial line. Uh, you know, another example is that uh, that we've been approved by the OEB. We proposed to them, and we've been approved for a pilot where we're we're looking at installing uh, Tesla battery walls behind the meter uh, to again help with reliability and uh, and add other benefits to the system. And and they've allowed us to rate base those for the pilot. And so, you know, I think um, as we go forward, there is an opportunity for for a behind the meter. Uh, storage to be rate-based when it provides multiple benefits to the system, such as reliability or power quality. So just based on those uh, few instances, as you look forward and you think about you know, the, the next rate application, are you guys increasingly confident there'll be, that you plan to put more into your plan there, or, or, or is it still just sort of a, a, a slow, steady evolution? Yeah, at this point, it's a slow, steady evolution. Well, in in the rate application, we have to, um, you know, apply in accordance with the rules today. Um, and again, these are uh, these are pilots. Um, part of the OE re OEB reform, which uh, I'm pleased with the new leadership that's come in place, and they're they're starting to move on the recommendations of the of the discerning report of a few years ago. And one of those is to look at. Um, DERs and behind the meter and and uh, what the future of those looks like. Um, they've also hired London Economics to look at that, um, and we're expecting some reports uh, at the end of November. So, uh, you know, I think things are going that way. But at this point, um, you know, the, the regulations don't allow for it. But uh, but there is a recognition that that, that is the way of the future. Thank you. Once again, ladies and gentlemen, if you wish to ask a question at this time, please press star then one on your touchdown telephone. Our next question comes from Rob Hope with Scotia Bank. Your line is open. Yes, uh, morning, everyone. Uh, just want a follow-up question just in terms of gun, uh, government relations. You know, just with the announcements on the changes in, in uh, electricity rates yesterday, just want to confirm that you guys weren't approached on any other alterations that could have impacted your lower, loud ROE. Or earned ROE, sorry. Yeah, Rob, there was uh, there's been no discussion with me and and uh, or or our GR team uh, in government on on those types of changes. Okay, thank you. Uh, and then just a second one. Um, when you take a look at uh, you know how costs have been progressing through 2020, you know, offset it a little bit by COVID, of course. Um, how have your kind of productivity savings plans? Um, you know, been altered through the year? Are you tracking ahead of schedule, below schedule? You know, could we see, you know, a good amount of work uh, being done on this front in 2021 as well? Yeah, I'll let, I'll let Chris uh, answer that one. Hi, Rob. Uh, thanks for the question. I think last quarter we reported we had a very good quarter because we had to prioritize uh, certain work due to safety concerns, and that really did help our productivity numbers for for this year. Um, overall, we're tracking to our long-term guidance where we uh, look to offset inflation. Um, so we're on track, you know, the last four years since the IPO, we've offset inflation. We're on track again at roughly that 2% rate. Um, so we're in line with that. It could be slightly ahead. 
Um, overall, uh, we see that continuing into the future. So no real change there. I think that you know, one of the side effects of COVID-19 is you have to do things differently. So we are seeing better use and uptick of technology. Um, and as Mark talked about, our agreements with our union partners will provide further opportunity to, again, de-risk um, our targets on productivity and potentially exceed them going forward. This year, it'll be pretty much in line with prior years in terms of the increase in productivity. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question comes from Andrew Kutsky with Credit Suisse. Your line is open. Thanks. Good morning. Uh, maybe just as it relates to Aurelia and Peterborough, if you could just give us some color and commentary on the experience thus far and maybe the game plan that you had laid out and like a 100-day game plan and where you are in that process. Yeah, I'll, I'll start about the experience so far. So after we close, we do have a transition plan for both of those, and it's about a 12 to 18 month transition plan as we uh, as we integrate our operations, our technologies, the employees, the customers, and uh, and so far it's going well, and we're on we're on plan for that. Um, I uh, I attended the kickoff in in Aurelia with the mayor and the and the employees uh, up there, and and they were very excited to after a long period to, to get the transaction completed and move to the next phases. So uh, integration efforts will continue over the next few quarters, um, but we're on, we're on plan and on target with what uh, we set out at the beginning right now, Andrew. Okay, thank you for that. And then uh, in Waterloo Region, uh, you're helping out with some transmission efforts there, I think on a substation. Could you just maybe give us some color on you know, the intent there, is this part of a partnership kind of approach? Is this part to get to know them a bit better for some longer-term aspirations? Any kind of color would be appreciated. You know, Andrew, we're going to have to get back to you on that one because I'm actually not sure um, uh, what you're referring to there. Uh, I'll have to check with my team what we're doing in Waterloo. Okay. And then we, um, we did... We do work, work with a lot of the a lot of our LDC partners when they need some help to uh, to uh, work on some assets or share resources and and that being maybe it I'm not I'm not sure Andrew. Okay, fair enough. And then one final one, um, just with General Motors Canada announcing either restart intentions in Oshawa, probably doesn't change anything from an infrastructure side because a lot of the infrastructure is already there. But do you have a view on what that means on just volume? Uh, you know, positive, I would assume, but any preliminary views? Yeah, we were we were happy and excited to see that, both for Ontario and for us, as you're right, there is a lot of infrastructure that was put in there that um, when that load went away, um, you know, that was stranded assets. So it's good to see that those will be used again. Um, so you're right, any load increases will be good for us. Not sure yet on uh, on what uh, what level of manufacturing they're going to be having there and what that might need to mean to load, but we will be looking at that closer. Okay, that's great. Thank you very much. Thank you. Our next question comes from Elias Faskolis with Industrial Alliance. Your line is open. Uh, good morning. Uh, before I ask my question, uh, I just want to pass on my condolences and, and IA's condolences to the family of the uh, hydro worker that uh, passed away. Moving beyond that, um, uh, probably a question for Chris. Uh, given your strong balance sheet, 
um, and, and I'm looking at the redemption of the preferred shares. Is there any other what I would call financial engineering that uh, you might consider, such as a normal course issuer bid or something like that in time, or something that I can't think of, um, that we might keep our eye on? Hi, Elias. Uh, thanks for the question. Uh, good questions. We, we've always thought of, thought of that. Um, you know, when it makes sense, we would do it. Again, we, that's just one option that we would compare future opportunities to. So, you know, our regulated business uh, is a better and more accretive uh, to investors to look at events from the course future a bit. Um, so it's something we'll look at over time. Um, it's not off the table, but it's not in place at, at this point. Okay. Uh, that, that's it for me. Uh, thanks very much. Thank you, and that concludes our Q&A session for today. I'd like to turn the call back over to Omar Javid for any further remarks. Thank you, Shen. Uh, the management team at Hydro One thanks everyone for their time with us this morning during what is a busy period. Uh, we appreciate your interest and your ownership. Uh, if you have any questions that weren't addressed on the call, please feel free to reach out and we'll get them answered for you. Uh, thank you again and enjoy the rest of your day and continue to be safe, please. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for participating in today's conference. This does conclude today's program, and you may all disconnect. Everyone have a great day. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.